0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't
2: fathom it.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Oh, baby, live around the world on the Internet (laughs) at MichaelDukesShow.com, where I'm sure it's warmer than here. Uh, And, of course, live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. Good morning, Happy Hump Day to you. It is, uh, it's a little, uh, <clears throat> it's a little chilly burr out there today, as we get ready to crack into Wednesday and the headlines and everything that's happening around the state of Alaska. We appreciate you coming on board and joining us today. Now, normally on Wednesdays, we're joined in hour two by our friend State Senator Mike Schauer, but <clears throat> he is in the air right now. So we're going to be talking with him tomorrow morning instead. And we'll be uh, we'll be diving that into stuff with him to get a feel for what's happening uh, now that the session has been rolling for a uh, couple, three weeks here, a couple weeks now, going into week two, week two and a half. And then uh, uh, so we'll see what he has to say in the morning. Meanwhile, here on the big radio program, for today, we are instead going to be joined by uh, State Senator Rob Myers from up in the interior, and we're going to talk with him about, um, well, about education, about the budgeting process, about the government and the economy, and uh, what what's happening. Why, you know, what, <laughs> some of the, I guess some of the, some of the similarities he's seeing in other petro-states uh, and maybe some of the lessons we can learn from uh, from what's going on in other places around the world. Uh, so Rob Myers will be joining us this morning to discuss this, uh, and uh, we'll be doing that in hour two. Meanwhile, in hour one, we are going to discuss the state of the state. The governor uh, uh, made his uh, made his annual speech yesterday. Uh, we're supposed to be on Monday, but um, snow, wind, Alaska got in the way and uh, people who were supposed to be in the legislature couldn't get to the legislature because the legislature is in this, you know, big remote place that nobody can get to, including the legislators. I mean, it would be kind of amazing if you could hold the legislative session on the road system, you know, where maybe anybody could just climb in a car and drive instead of depending on the airlines to get you there or having to drive through a foreign country to get there. Right. I mean, I'm just saying that that might be a anyway, (laughs) maybe one other state where they're like, legislature can't convene because people can't get there you know just name me one other state where that's really a continuing issue it happens all the time i mean it's just it's nutty but hey alaska this is where we're at baby this is this is where we're at and don't you dare talk about any other don't you dare talk about any other idea or way of doing things because somebody somebody's feelings or livelihood is going to get hurt if we even consider some other option out there. I mean, you know, go figure. Anyway, um, so that's what we're going to be uh, doing today. We're going to be diving down into that. We're also going to be taking some phone calls because why not, man? It's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week, and uh, I'm sure you have thoughts. I'm sure you have thoughts on a variety of things. We're also going to talk a little bit about the continual the Kerfluffle that is the Matsu library book policy ban challenge i mean it it <clears throat> it should be interesting. let's just put it that way I mean at some point I'm just asking questions like, oof, uh you know are we actually getting are we are we actually um are we actually making headway on this discussion? Maybe we should have a talk about that. Um, uh, so maybe maybe we'll start with that. Let me let me go through the rest of this. Uh, I'll, okay, I've opened, I'll open up the phone lines. Let me flip the switch here. I'll open the phone lines. If you guys want to call in, you can. And the phones are on. Okay, 907-433-3150. If you want to call in in hour one and talk about any of the things that we're talking about, feel free to ring us up and we can chat about it. Uh, What else? Uh, Oh, I've got a story here. I don't know. We may not hit this today. Um, We may hit this. uh, We may hit this tomorrow. I don't know. But uh, I was reading. I was I was I was reading for fun. Um, I was reading some interesting information on um, uh, a a trade industry mag for the uh, automotive industry. And there was a whole discussion about um, uh, electric vehicles and how the dealerships across the country want to hit the brakes, quote-unquote, on EVs. And there's a reason behind it. Now, this is a fascinating article. And what it really, to me, is fascinating about it is that it is government policy trying to drive the market, trying to drive government regulation, government policy, trying to drive the market – Um, Instead of consumer demand. And what a mess it's making in those regards. And again, just to me showing that, um, you know, when you mess with the free market, this these are the problems that you end up creating because, you know. The free market should be left alone, but the government's always involved in it. This might require a big chunk of a show or an hour uh, in and of itself. So we may get to that today or if not later on this week. There's also some interesting news on the technology front, which I'd like to talk about, uh, including the fact that Elon Musk announced uh, over the weekend, or maybe it was Monday, that uh, his company Neuralink, which he started back in 2016, has now successfully planted a neural transmitter in the brain of a human being for the first time that they've been in doing trials and they've been working on it. Essentially, the creating a human brain computer interface so that uh, that, that what they're doing it right now with is people who are uh, para or quadriplegics so that they can interact with computer surfaces Using their brains, using their minds, and this is just the first step, and it's an interesting first step. And I kind of want to know, uh, you know, what if you guys would if you guys would be down with this in the future? Now, right now, it's just for people who are obviously paralyzed, don't have the use of their limbs, and are looking for things. But it is the opening door on a next. Uh, what did somebody say? The next evolution of human. Uh, Whatever. I mean, it's it's an interesting concept that science fiction writers have been working on or working around for years. And um, I kind of I kind of want to know what your personal take is on it. Um, uh, And again, we may get to that today or, you know, tomorrow might be a big show with a bunch of different what if kind of stuff. It's very it's it's some very cool stuff. Um, and it's mostly non-political, so I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, but, uh, we'll see if we get to that today. But first things first, I guess, um, how much time do I got? I don't have quite enough time to get into that, uh, yet into my discussion on the, uh, um, on the library thing, so we'll get to that here in the second segment. Um, I will say the people in Anchorage are apparently just not listening to, um, the any but look I'm as much anti government as probably anybody you know right I mean or anti not anti government anti authoritarian you can't tell me what to do get off my lawn right I mean that's kind of me but when for 2 years they've had what they've had 16 16 I think 16 or 17 roofs collapse in the Anchorage area and the city and the planners and the building department and the fire department have all been telling people, you know, <clears throat> shovel off your roofs, get to it, get, you know, get it done, get, get, get all this done. And yet you see another. It happened yesterday. No injuries reported after a roof of a warehouse in the Taku area, not in Fairbanks, but in Anchorage, uh, between Raspberry Road, Arctic Boulevard and Sea Street. Um, collapsed. It was a partial collapse. It was a commercial uh, building. Um, It's a commercial warehouse. And I mean, you could just look at the building. It is almost an identical twin to a building that collapsed about three weeks ago. I mean, in construction, it looks like, I mean, it looks like it may have been built by the same company. It's got the same coloring. It's got the same, you know, facade on the edges of it and everything else. And it just, partially collapsed. 16, I'm sorry, 16 roof collapses since last winter, one of them fatal, killed that poor lady in the I think it was a CrossFit gym, she was killed when the roof came tumbling down. Um and the city has been encouraging people to have an engineer check their roof to see if it's pre-1990s, uh wood truss frame, see if it's parallel cord, but most importantly to shovel the roof off. And I am just shocked I mean, after SBS, Spinard Builder Supply, lost one of their huge warehouses um, to this just, uh, what was it, seven, eight weeks ago? You would think that people, you know, even renters, even people who don't own the building would be like calling the landlord going, "Um, hey, we need to shovel the roof off here, right? I mean, we need to make sure this is taken care of. We need to – it is (laughs) – it's just astonishing This is the third or fourth one in as many weeks. This is the third or fourth roof fall uh, collapse or partial collapse in as many weeks in the Anchorage area. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was working in a building like that, and I do work in a building that has a flat roof, and I did make a call and said, hey, what's the story with the roof and what are we doing? And they're out there shoveling the roofs off. Uh, of the radio station. They're, they're taking that stuff down. I mean, it's, you know, it it's, it was on my mind, obviously, and it's on their mind. They were thinking about it. How do you go about this? I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm, again, I'm as much as the next guy telling people, you can't tell me what to do. This just seems like this is, um, self-evident and maybe, I mean, is there a whole lot of, it'll never happen to me going on with these people? Or what? We've got over a hundred inches of snow, and the wild temperature swings, I mean, I don't know. I mean the 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 snow is actually lighter now than it would have been a couple of years ago when it was so wet and warm because it's, you know, fifteen below. So it's dried the snow out and the and the it doesn't have the moisture content that it did before. But, man, just imagine what happens if we get a little bit more snow or, It warms up to the, you know, 20, 25 degree range, 30 degree range. Then what happens? I just don't understand. I mean, there should be, you know, if you had a snow shoveling company or some of those lightweight snow throwers that uh, you could carry up a ladder and take up there. I mean, you would you could make a mint uh, with these with these places because these flat roofs are everywhere. Right. I just I don't understand. I don't understand why people are not because they they got an aerial view of this latest one that collapsed and you could see that there is a significant amount of snow on the roof. There There's a there is a there's there's a chunk of it on the roof up there. Um, but <clears throat> what do you what are you going to do? Um, I guess nobody was hurt. That was the plus part. Um, but the building, the the business that was in the building, uh, Unistrut Alaska, ironically, a safety equipment supplier. Um, Nobody got hurt, but their business is shut down for the foreseeable future. I mean, I think I'd be asking some questions. I think I would be asking some questions. All right. We got more coming up. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Phone lines are open. uh, 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150 is the phone number. I'd love to love to hear what you have to say. We'll be back with more. The Michael Duke show common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio.
0: You missed the show. You can listen to it on your time with Duke's on demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: Common sense, it's amazing they call it common. It's so rare. Right? I mean, that that's it's I just I just don't know. I mean, yeah. First of all, who thought it was a great idea to make flat roof buildings in Alaska or anywhere where they get a heavy snow load? I mean, what? I, mean, I know it's, but it just it makes no sense. Now, I'm not a builder. I've never built a building. I've worked on buildings, but I've never built a building. So I don't know. Is it substantially cheaper to make a flat roof than it is to make a canted, uh, you know, cantilevered or, or truss roof? Because it would just seem to me in the long run, that would make more sense. Why would you? I just so many problems. So many problems. You know. Um, <clears throat> it uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that again. And I'm just like, really? I mean, you should be out there with. I mean, making it happen. My engineer bought a snowblower for his house, and he's like, yeah. He goes, I got this snowblower that's an electric snowblower. Um, and he goes, it's light enough that I can carry it up onto my deck and run it on my deck. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it, it, so it's light enough that he can actually carry it. Why? I mean, it doesn't make it hard then. Just blow that stuff right off the roof onto the parking lot. It just why are you, you know, you don't even have to have a billion young men up there with shovels pushing stuff around. Just start in the middle and work your way out to the edges. Why are you, you know oh, Architects from California design many of the buildings in Anchorage. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, you know, totally. Uh, totally. It's uh <clears throat> I mean, that just really flies right there. Uh okay. Um let's see. CFA Hayek fatal conceit. Oh, I don't know what you were talking about there, but uh yeah. Hayek has got some He's got some, you want to have your brain shook? Just read some Hayek. Um Uh funny enough in uh fictional, never mind. <laughs> good morning, good morning, good morning. Um Uh good morning. 32 below in Fairbanks might warm up to 26 says Debbie if the sun when the sun rises for all five hours of the sunrise so yeah I mean you know uh it's minus well that's not right it is not six above it is 14 below here at the house right now oof but then I saw that who was it was it uh somebody said 27 below in Soldatna who said that uh uh, not Chris. It was, uh, I hate it when I, when I can't remember it, that she's a, she's a regular listener and I've actually met her in person at a meet and greet and I can't remember. It begins with a C. I feel bad. I just can't, I can't remember where it. Is. Right there. Cindy, Cindy. I see. I remember that. Cindy in Soldatna says it's a cool minus 27 in Soldatna. That's pretty cold for Soldatna. Um dang, I didn't th- I didn't think it got that cold down there. But uh, you know, there you go. Um oh, electric car comment uh with the government. That's what he was talking about, fatal conceit. And that you are a hundred percent right. That is the perfect match for what's gonna go. Okay. Um oof. man, I I got a I got a, I got a remit on life. I got a re- new lease on life. Uh, after my conversation yesterday with Chris, we were talking. Uh, that was a really good, if you missed it, you should go back and listen to it. And then I was doing some other reading and, and stuff, and uh, th- it's pretty awesome. This show's going places. I'm just telling you right now, this show is going places. You guys want to be here when that happens. Just saying. You want to be here when that happens, Uh, so make sure you check us out on Patreon and become a member of the Cool Kids Club to help support the show. You want to be part of this, I guarantee it. Guarantee it. All right, here we go. Jumping back in the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, Liberty Base, free thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all the stuff. Let's go.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry, not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show.
2: Yep. Whoa. That's right. I am not your daddy. I refuse to take responsibility for you or your actions. You need to grow up, be your own person. Uh, yeah, I'd say get off my lawn, but my lawn is covered with about a 12-foot mound of snow that the burrow keeps pushing up onto my lawn. I hate you guys so much. And then they gripe at me about shoveling snow onto my pile that's on my lawn from my driveway. You can't push snow out into the road and then up onto the pile. It's on my lawn. <laughs> Shut up. That's what I'm saying. Shut up. Get off my snowbank. Anyway, uh, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Uh, Thursday, uh, Wednesday. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to travel in time. Today is actually Wednesday, uh, and we're going to be talking with State Senator uh, Rob Myers in just a few minutes, uh, thirty minutes or so. Uh, We're going to be talking about education and more. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Governor's State of the State speech, but I got to get to this first because this is this is bugging me. This is getting to Um, this is getting to a point where I'm just like, it's getting a little bit nutty. So the Matsu Burrow uh, has now suspended its challenged book policy after the meetings, quote, devolved into a shouting match and name calling, unquote. Uh, This is uh, out of a story from Amy Bouchats over at the uh, uh, Anchorage Daily News. Says the Matthew Borough Library policy that allows residents to recommend books they want permanently pulled from shelves is on hold after a meeting on January the 18th um, ended in chaos. The indefinite suspension has been announced by the borough manager, Mike Brown, and will give officials times to examine the policy with the goal of refocusing the process on civil discourse good luck i mean good luck with the civil discourse i mean I, I attempt that here on the program we try and do that but it just it just it's like something it's an art that has been lost the, the art of civil discourse has been lost and it 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 melts down into screeching on both sides look you folks on the conservative right or the the, the both everybody nobody is safe at this point so, the borough's decision came after this meeting on January the 8th, uh, 18th. Had, they'd called to hear a request to remove two young adult fiction books, one called Red Hook by Elena K. Arnold, and the other one called Identical by Ellen Hopkins. Uh, a four member borough committee ruled the book should stay on the shelves. Palmer resident Jackie Goforth, who regularly expresses her concerns about books she views as inappropriate during borough meetings, asked for the review because of what she described as the book's sexual content. Attendees, including borough assembly member Dee McKee, repeatedly interrupted the proceedings, which did not include public comment under the committee rules. Hugh Leslie, the borough's recreation manager, served as the borough—which seems an odd choice— uh, served as the borough's official chair in the meeting and at times struggled to maintain order amid a dozen audience interruptions and unsanctioned dialogue between the committee members and the crowd. So uh, my first comment is this. Having run many meetings, um, I was the chair of the uh, Assembly Road Service Area Commission in Fairbanks, which is the main body that manages all the road service areas uh, in, in the commissions. Uh, I could tell you that there, you know, you got Robert's rules of order. There's certain things that you do, and if people don't comply, then you shut the meeting down. You just turn it off because that's you don't get anything done, which is apparently eventually what happened. But this guy was struggling. Okay, um, then apparently Goforth took it upon herself to ask if any audience members wished to speak, despite the committee rules. She, as the person asking for the books to be removed could speak at the committee's pleasure, but there was no open public comment on it. But when she asked that, then Dee McKee, the assembly member, who should know better, moved, volunteered and moved to the podium. And it just devolved into basically a shouting match, name-calling, and all this kind of stuff. Now, look, I got a few things to say about this. This whole book thing that's been going on most of the people who are fighting for this, I believe in what they're doing. I believe the ideal that we should not be exposing children to a lot of ideas and concepts that they are probably too young for at this point, especially without supervision. OK, I am da- I got that. I'm down with that. But most of these people are not doing themselves or us, you know, people who believe that any good by getting into these confrontational shouting matches and name-calling. And you see it across the country. This is not strictly a Wasilla thing or an Alaska thing or whatever. It's going on around the country. Here's my suggestion. Because, again, I am not one to ban information, knowledge, ideas, or speech. Even if I disagree with them vehemently, I believe... That there are certain books that should definitely not be in a school library, right, because their content is too controversial and not, you know, I, I can see that argument. But we're talking about borough and city libraries, right? So if you've got material that you believe is inappropriate, instead of trying to have it pulled from the shelves altogether, have it put into an adult section. Have it put into, uh, you know, some other area. or have it where if it's a, t- a teen or, a, a, you know, under a certain age that they have to have a parent or guardian there to help them check it out. I mean, you know, if that's the if a parent wants to expose their children to ideas that I find distasteful or wrong, that's really not my position to that's their child. They have that they can indoctrinate or teach or train or whatever their child with whatever they want. That's that's you know, you get off my lawn. I'll stay off your lawn. Right. But there has to be a point where you can't just outlaw everything you disagree with, even things you find distasteful. You know, the answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. Find a book that's a counterpoint to whatever it is that they're putting out there. Make sure it gets prominent placement right next to, you know, put them right next to each other. Point, counterpoint. Do all these things. Just don't try and blanket ban them. It doesn't make any sense. And it makes you look small-minded. Not, again, you don't have to agree with it. You could think that it's complete, utter, and total trash. But do not block somebody else from being able to make that decision for themselves. And that's where I think a lot of these crusades to clean up libraries and do things like that have fallen on their own. They're hoisted themselves by their own petard, right? I mean, because you are not making friends. This is like the people who are like, stop big oil. And they're the ones that are parking themselves and gluing themselves to the pavement on major thoroughfares in in big cities. You're trying to win hearts and minds against stopping big oil. And all you're doing is making people want to run over your body. You're not helping the cause, is what I'm saying. So, we need to be able to have rational, reasonable conversations. We need to be able to be reasonable about our demands in such a situation. Now, again, I don't want to hear about explicit instructions on how to perform oral sex in a grade school. And there are some of those books, my friends, that are, that's what some of these things are. I agree those should not be in public school libraries. Now, should they be in the municipal or main or borough libraries? Yes. They should, you know, if somebody wants to have that and read that, they should be able to have access. Should it be in a children's section? No. Should it be in an adult section or a maybe a guided section where they have to have a, their parent or legal guardian with them to be able to... Yeah. Okay. Fine. A school library they can go to on their own and do. But you know, I just. But but do not get into this. You're not winning any arguments. You're not having what they what they call civil discourse, right? That's what it was. We're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have a, a whole thing until we can figure out the civil discourse, and that's the problem. We just we cannot. It seems like every argument devolves into a screaming match. I mean, television's made it famous. You know, the 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 the. If you watch any of the talking heads or any of the TV, I mean, it's, they immediately devolve into shouting at each other. Nobody can have point counterpoint. Nobody can have we agree to disagree. We can't. And and. All I'm saying to these people who I'm, I know are putting a lot of work into this, I know that there's groups in these different communities that are putting a lot of work about the, into this, and they've made it their personal mission or crusade to fix these things. Great. I appreciate your work, but you may want to look at how you're doing it. Because obviously this is not working. And what it's doing is it's folding into the narrative that the other side is p- portraying that we're just all unreasonable bigots who want to suppress information. When that's not what we're trying to do here. In my mind, anyway. You know. And, and by the way, who put on this list of 53, the 56 books. That they filed, I, I can't even remember what it which book it was. Now, um, which one was it? It was, um, it was was it was it uh, Fahrenheit? It wasn't Fahrenheit four fifty one, which would have been ironic, by the way. It was um, Catcher in the Rye, no, Slaughterhouse Five, Kurt Vonnegut. That is the they were challenging books like Slaughterhouse Five. I mean, there, there's just some deep irony here on some of the things that they're challenging. Some of them may just be in ideals that they don't like. I'm talking about the difference between explicit materials and ideas that you don't like. If there's and, and by the way, who is just letting their children run amok in a regular library and not checking out what those kids are checking out? Right? I mean, my wife and I, whenever we went to the library with the kids, and we loved to go to the library... We always looked at what they were checking out, didn't you? Oh, but they could be there alone. They could be reading it in the corner in the dark. You're not paying it. This whole thing, it, it, to my mind, and maybe I'm wrong. You can call up and tell me why I'm wrong. Is ridiculous that we get into these shouting matches instead of having a reasonable, rational conversation about it and being reasonable about what we're doing. Sexually explicit material in a school library? No. Should it be able to remain in a regular library? Yes. I mean, I don't, I won't go read it. I won't let my kids go read it. I mean, they're adults now. They can read what they want. But I wouldn't have let my kids go read it. But should we ban something that we completely? No, that's not how it works. Again, the answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. Create something compelling, either in your own speech or write a book that's a counterpoint or find a book that's a counterpoint and have a discussion about it. Why is that so hard? Why has it gotten so easy to just turn around and start, you know, throwing spears and name calling and create? It's this tribalism, baby. It is the divisiveness that we're seeing and the polarization that is just killing us killing us all right i that's all i wanted to say that's all i wanted to say about it and i'm sure somebody's mad because i basically said but feel free to tell me why i'm wrong 907-433-3150 the michael duke show continues governor state of the state is up next we will be back with more right after this regularly heard on American radio all right let me see what you got I didn't look at your comments the whole time I was talking about that um um the library board is the most liberal entitled group I've ever seen. The board will not let the public speak at those meetings. That's why the public shouted down the board. Watch on Politic. The board needs to go away. They have a god ego. OK, so, Terry, I understand, but there are committee rules. And if you don't like the committee rules, get the committee rules amended so that there can be public testimony on that. There are committee rules now. There are. Yes, I would agree that many library boards are some of the most liberal places that they believe they know better than you, what your kids should learn and everything else. I agree with that. And yes, it can be infuriating. But if you don't like what's going on with the rules, then petition to get the rules changed and be reasonable and statesmanlike about it when you're putting that information forward to the borough manager or whoever is in control of that. The borough manager now has put everything on hold until we can figure it out. Maybe this is what you write out. Here's what we need: we need a public thing. We need a public pub public uh, 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 um, um, comments section of this. We need to do this. I, I know some of these people have a god ego. I would not disagree with that. I would not disagree with that. But you, you're not winning friends and influencing people by getting into by getting into um, a, a shouting match with somebody. You're not you're not winning over anybody. <sighs> Acting like children. Uh, Jeannie says, "Isn't distasteful usually immoral?" Yes, in my mind. But certain behaviors or ways of life that I find distasteful and believe are immoral, other people believe are just a natural selective process. So I'm not here to judge them. I just don't want their ideology forced down my throat, right? Again, stay off my lawn. I'll stay off your lawn. Now, because again, it's not my place to judge. Let me say that again in case you missed that. It's not my place to judge. It says that somewhere, right? So, while I can disagree with somebody's choice or belief or whatever, it's not my place to judge them. It's my place to love them as they are where they're at, as best as I can. So, there you go. Um, have they banned books about gravity? Well, apparently. Can we just also say we don't actually need gravity? Yeah, I mean, okay. I'm just, all right, you're right. We don't need gravity. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh Bill is on a tear this morning. Um, no literature should be banned from a public library. However, elementary and middle schools should probably not have certain material on their shelves. Yes, I agree. That was my point. Salacious or sexually explicit material should not be available in elementary and middle schools. I would agree with that. When they have a book that will describe in detail the proclivities or what happens during oral sex or, uh, or any kind of... If they're giving a paint-by-the-numbers on how to have sex of any kind, that's not something that I want my fifth grader to read. Right? Most parents let their kids run amok everywhere. That's a deeper societal problem. Again, I, that you know, don't keep conflating the two. Um, trying to call in, line is busy, says Terry. Impossible! Let me just see here, because it looks like it's working for me. Let me see. Let me see what the thing says here. It's trying. It's thinking. It's trying. It's thinking. Boy. Terry, you are 100% correct. Uh, Would you like me to... um, here let me fix this for you here you go Terry I'm gonna post this number up no right here come here this is the direct line right there there you go uh-huh uh-huh right there that's the alternative phone number right there check it out you can call that number and you will be you'll be squared away uh, oh, there was somebody on the line. No, there wasn't. Yes, there was. Oh, that's because I moved out of the window. Uh, all right. So feel free. There you go, Terry. Uh, you can call up right now. Would love to hear what you have to say. The Michael Duke Show continues. You're home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about uh, the governor's state of the state and more, plus Rob Myers coming up at the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. Let's get this done. here. We, five seconds. There's not a, how do you feel five seconds when you've just, you're doing a countdown and, you know, it's, I mean. <laughs> OK, well, somebody in the chat room said they were trying to call in and the number was broken. It was busy. Thank you, GCI. So um, I actually the, the service that I use for my phones is actually down in the States. And so that number is a it's a you know, it's a forwarding number, right? So it's Alaska number that sends you. So if you wanted to comment on anything today, here's the other number. This is the direct number to the service just so you know. 319-527-3864. 319-527-3864. Feel free to give us a ring and we'll we'll do what we can do here. 319-527-3864 if you want to talk about uh, anything that I've been talking about this morning including the st- the uh the, the library stuff. All right, so the governor did his state of the state speech last night, and it was 50 minutes of uh, blah, 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 blah. All right, let me give you the, let me concise it down for you. Let me concise it down for you. As much as I like Mike Dunleavy, I am wondering at some point, where's he going with certain things? Because there are certain things that I'm just like, what? What were you talking? Okay, so he, uh, during his 50-minute address, and uh, Sean McGuire over at the ADN has got a full write-up on this if you want to go check it out. And uh, you can go watch it on KTOO, gavel to gavel, if you want to spend 50 minutes of your time going through it. Um, Dunleavy riffed on Alaska's inspirational state motto, North to the Future. Because politician, he's gotta he's got to keep it inspirational. His belief that forces outside and inside Alaska has worked to curtail resource development and economic growth were also another point that he tried to make during this uh, uh, during this whole thing, and uh, he went on to talk about uh, how we really needed to grab on to that state motto that that was the North to the future that that he said unless we change our attitude on resource development and economic growth. North to the future will become no to the future, which I thought was probably the best quote of the whole speech at this point. Now, ironically, the fact that he's talking about curtailing resource development, I can see that we're talking about, but the economic growth. And he was talking to the right crew when he was talking about economic growth because it is the legislature who is causing so many problems with the economic growth in this state because they believe better than anyone else that they're the ones that are qualified to help direct to the economic growth of the state. And the economic growth is primarily derived from government spending. That's their belief. That's what they believe. And as Rob, I'm sure Rob Myers will get into in the next hour. That's one of the things that he, uh, that he talks about is that there is this disconnect now between the public and the private economy, because we're, again, a petrostate, state, and we're deriving all of our income for the state from a different source other than the citizenry and other than the private economy, so they could give two poops less what's going on with the private economy. Right? So, uh, after the address, uh, Kathy Tilton applauded the governor for being enthousi- enthusiastic, <laughs> enthusiastic about Alaska and for really pushing our state motto, which... I thought was the weirdest quote of the whole thing. Um, Kodiak, Republican um, Senate uh, President Gary Stevens said he appreciated the governor's willingness to articulate his vision for Alaska, but there would be some policy disagreements within the bipartisan Senate majority. You think? You think? I mean, with Kathy Giesel in there, who was basically, you cannot let Dunleavy win. At all. Remember when she was president of the Senate, and she was just like nothing that Dunleavy wanted. She was like she was if he was for it, she was against it. Remember that? Big surprise! Big surprise! Uh, Calvin Shreggy, who is the minority leader in An- from Anchorage, who is I just love the fact every time they talk about it, he's the Anchorage independent. He's a Democrat. He's not an independent. Nobody's buying your independent BS, okay? I'm just saying. Nobody in their right minds is buying just, oh, that, that, that I'm an independent. Not just BS. I, we know it's not. you're not an independent. You're a Democrat who wanted to make yourself more palatable. That's fine. Okay, we got it. He said that the address had been aspirational in parts. <laughs> The difference between inspir we all know what the difference is between inspirational and aspirational, right? Aspirational in parts, but he said that the governor had really missed the mark when it came to laying out solutions for public school education and the state's fiscal situation long term. (laughs) You guys would not know a long term solution if it smashed you in the face. I mean You have been fighting tooth and nail against the bipartisan working groups plan, which was put together by some of your fellow Democrats. I mean, independents and conservatives and unanimously agreed on. And you still are like it. That's just such poochois. I mean, they're just like anyway, Um, his proposed budget unveiled in December came with a full statutory PFD of thirty four hundred dollars per Alaskan. Um, And a billion dollar deficit. He pledged to fight for the PFD in the speech, but did not explain where the money was going to come from, which, as Brad talks about quite frequently, who pays? Who pays? I want to know who pays for all that stuff. Um, (laughs) I mean, where's the money coming from? You can't just say, I want it and I want it now. And then expect it's going to show up. Otherwise, it's just empty words. Now, his argument, I think, would be, well, I'm going to pull it from the CBR, which, again, not a long-term solution. I'm just throwing that out there. Not a long-term solution to the problem, right? Um, He goes on to talk about uh, that... uh, he goes on to talk about the, the, uh, the school district and how the provisions of the house education package has got a lot of pieces that will help education as a whole, which I think he's probably right. I mean, the, we're doing well with charter schools. He wants to increase. Uh, he wants to give uh, more ability for charter schools to be formed by creating a statewide board or having the state board of ed be able to sign off on those. He wants to. Uh, he wants to bonus teachers. He wants to give more money to the homeschooling programs, so because they're obviously a huge component of the education in the state. These are all things that I think are great. But the charter school thing was interesting. He said, Alaska, you know, because in the state by state charter school assessment last year, we were the top in the state when they ranked all the states, Alaska came out on top for charter schools. He said, this fact should be a cause for celebration. Every educator, every administrator and every school board member in Alaska should be embracing the opportunity to learn from what's proving successful. Now, I have said this many times that if you want to do something, find somebody who's done it and apply that to your mission, right? I want to get, I want to circumnavigate the world. Who's done it? How do I do it? What did they use? How can I improve on that? What is the, you know, that's the thing, right? But they just, well, oh, they talked about, that went on to talk about local control. Oh, we can't have that. That that this local control. That would take away local control from the school boards and school districts. And um <clears throat> he said last week that he would veto any standalone bill that simply increases the BSA if it isn't part of a broader package. He reiterated that message to legislators last night and said, quote, for far too long, the drumbeat for more money in the BSA has drowned out nearly every other conversation. Again, I would agree with that. That has become the drumbeat over the last 18 months, that that's the only thing they need. No accountability, no plan on how they're going to spend it, no nothing else. We just need the money and you must give it to us or else everyone's going to fail and die and it'll be raining frogs from the sky and the moon will turn to blood it will be bad if we don't get this money um he went on to talk about being the most pro life state in the union or creating making to want, wanting to make alaska the most pro life state but he really didn't do anything he didn't talk about any ideas on that he did announce that he has created a task force To study how to make child care in Alaska more affordable and accessible. So he's got a study going to study the study that we've already studied. I'm waiting to hear from the Alaska Study Institute. I'm sure they'll be reaching out to me shortly here to tell me that they are embracing the idea of another study. I mean, do you really need a task force to say, let's get, you know, let's get some of the the guide rails and the overregulation and everything else off there? And give people just the opportunity to, you know, take care of kids in a way that doesn't require 43 reams of government oversight. I mean, that would be a big push on it. Um, do you really need a task force to do that? It, I mean, what it means is this is all code for more government money to be spent on child care. Cradle to grave, baby. Cradle to grave. Um, He also spoke broadly in support of pro-life policies to encourage more people to have families in Alaska. He said a larger population in Alaska would help boost the state's economy and that believing the opposite was basically sovereign suicide. Uh, And then he said, um, we've seen the results of their efforts over the past 50 years to discourage people from having families and more recently to restrict and control people through social engineering. Now, when they asked the question of all the legislators across the political spectrum, if they understood what he meant by those comments, they said no, because I don't know where he was going with that. But that's your recap of the governor's speech from last night. Aren't you glad you listened or didn't listen, if the case may be. Rob Myers is up next. The Michael Duke show continues. We're going to talk more in education in a minute right here. The Michael Duke show. Okay. Um, all right. The public needs to be, uh, okay. Some of the rules in the committee still allow email comments. Um, Melody says, I agree with you, MD. Not in the schools, but public libraries okay. I know my kids will never check those books out. Uh Jeannie says some of the rules. I think it I don't know what the deal is here. Come on. Some of the rules in committee still allow email comments. Yes. Terry says the public needs to be allowed to testify. I've read excerpts from some of the books they want moved to the adult section. It's pure evil. OK, but if it's being moved to the adult section, th- then I'm sure you could find many things that you disagree with in the adult section. If it's being moved to the adult section, is that enough? Um, uh, basic, guess you can disagree. I guess you can disagree with people without judging them, says Jeannie. Immorality to me is not appropriate in a polite society. I would agree and I think it's part of the problem with our moral decline in this country. But again, I have been instructed to not judge lest I myself be judged. Um Egads, the hotline uh with great power comes great responsibility it is that is the hotline number that is the i mean that's a direct dial if you actually dial into that i can see who you are because it's got caller id the forwarder kills my caller id so i can't see it anyway um i'm scrolling i'm scrolling i'm scrolling the long-term solution says kevin (laughs) but he's tied now we're into the governor's speech the long-term solution is to spend money we don't have yeah, his budget has a full PFD and a billion dollar hole, says Donna. Yeah, exactly. I mean his answer will be, well, we'll just take it out of savings. That's not an answer. I'm just it's just not an answer. <laughs> oh man. Alright. We got uh we got it. All right, we're ready to go here. Let's go, uh let's go test. Let's go test uh the connection to Rob to see if. He is shook this morning. See if he's comfortable in his closet Um, down there in the basement. Did you have to move the mops and brooms out of the way? That's my question. I just wanted to know before you said. Rob Myers is our guest here this morning. Hello, my friend. How are you?
1: You're trying to test me this morning, Dukes? I'm trying to test Is that you. what I'm hearing?
2: Yeah, I was trying to test you. I was trying to see. I'm just going to test you to see how you are. What's What's 12 times 12? Come on, give it to me right now. Quick, quickly, quickly, quickly. Um, that's, it's a, that question's just gross. Yeah, that's gross. Oh, dang. He just dropped a ton of pun on me right there. Um, all right. <laughs> that was definitely <laughs> a gross. Um, <clears throat> hello, uh, my friend. How are you? Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm uh, I'm still getting over the fact uh, – well, I'm not getting over that. I'm still digesting all the points that the governor was trying to make yesterday. I'm just not – I just don't know, man. I'm just so not inspired. He tried to be inspirational. It may have – I mean, but it just – I'm just – the whole point is if you're worried about the economy and resource development, you were talking to the right crew. The question is, were they listening? I mean, that's the, uh, that's the question. That is fair question. Yeah. I mean, that's the question. Were they listening? And I think the answer to that is probably no. I mean, I don't know. But what do you think you were listening? What do you think? Was anybody else? Yeah.
1: Well, I was in the back of the room. Uh, it was interesting to watch who clapped when and where uh, at certain points, uh, you know, uh, you know, like you, you could tell, Oh, the the Republicans are clapping or everybody is clapping and you know, couple couple different points he was making. So yeah, there's uh some selective listening going on, I'm sure.
2: <laughs> that just reminds me of the same reminds me of the sound of silence, you know? They're just people people speaking without uh, listening and people listening without hearing. I mean it's just like oh it's crazy. All right. Uh well we're about a minute uh and a half out right now and we're gonna talk about uh uh education, uh, you know, uh, the BSA, what happens, the school districts and the petro state, which you've really been diving into, which I think is an interesting look at. Because, again, if you want to know where you're going, look at people who've been there before. Or if you want to see how things something has been done, find people who've done it and what they've do to either improve it and kind of mold it after that. So, I mean, yeah, looking at petro states, that's not a bad way to do it. Uh, and of course
1: you, uh, if you want to know why you are, where you are, look at where you came from.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we've got a lot of examples out there. We've got failed petro states and we've got, you know, places like Norway or something with a sovereign wealth fund of multiple billions of dollars, you know I mean? So it's a, it's an interesting thing and we can't take them. Uh, we can't take it all because we, you know, we're not the same, but we can take lessons from each of those. So it should be an interesting, uh, Interesting discussion. All right. Well, hold the line, my friend. I'll put you back in the green room, and we'll be back to you here in uh, just a minute or so here. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. That's so – it was a Dunleavy proof of life moment. They just wanted to roll him out to make to show you that he was still breathing and he was still around, and then they rolled him back in on, like, the hand truck, you know, like the Hannibal Lecter thing, where they rolled him out, and then they rolled him back in, and that's it. Um, yeah, that uh, pretty much – That pretty much, pretty much where it is. All right, my friends, let's get back to it. Here we go, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that stuff. Let's go.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Hi there, ho there, hey there. Welcome to Wednesday. It is the Michael Dukes Show, hour two of the big radio broadcast, and uh, it is the fastest two hours in radio. I guarantee it. Uh, we're going to be through this lickety split hour two today. Normally, uh, this is the day that we bring Mike Shower on for the Shower Hour of Power, but he's in the air somewhere, uh, and so uh, we're going to be talking with him tomorrow. Meanwhile, we brought up uh, we brought up our other favorite senator. Uh, this one from up in the interior, uh, Rob Myers, uh, joins us this morning, and we're going to talk about education. And uh, the Petrostate state and the economy and long term plans. And we're going to solve all the world problems in the next 60 minutes. I guarantee you. Uh, and that's what it is. So Rob Myers joins us this morning and is our guest. Hello, my friend. Hello. How are you doing?
1: I am doing well, Michael. You know, the thing is that us truck drivers have already solved all the world's problems. Just the rest of y'all don't have a CB to listen to it.
2: Exactly. I mean, I could just see this is the Pork Chop Express, and I'm just going to tell you what old Jack Burton used to do. on uh, One of my favorite movies right there. That's it. One of my favorite. I could watch that thing every week. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> those of you who don't get that, I'm so sorry that you didn't get that. Uh, Rob Myers, uh, let's, uh, let's get into it, my friend. So we knew it. Education was going to be the huge deal. Um, and uh, the house tried to, I mean, I guess I would say they tried to get smart about this and, and tried to, you know, put it all together and, and maybe change the dynamic a little bit. And they took a bill that the Senate sent to them and they Christmas treated up. I mean, I felt like that was a little bit of turnabout's fair play in my opinion, and then said, we're going to send it back to the Senate. And, but of course now they're having a hard time getting their own. Pooping a group over on that side, uh, and education is. But you have had some constituents that have reached out to you that are not happy about some of this stuff, and uh, I know we we need to talk about this. So so give us a get. Let's get started here.
1: Yeah. So um, last week I sent out my kind of monthly um, constituent email. You know my monthly newsletter, um, which if you're interested in, uh, email me. Send Senator Robert Myers at akleg.gov. We'll throw you on that list. Um, but I sent out uh, my my email uh, with my constituent newsletter uh, last week. Uh, was it last Wednesday? And day or two later, I got an email back from a constituent, and he, I, I was in the the e- newsletter. I was talking a little bit about SB 140, what the the house has turned into the kind of education omnibus. And this constituent didn't like a comment from one of the members of the house majority on that bill. Uh, it. Somewhere out in the news, they reported that uh, one of the House majority members said that they got to the three hundred dollar BSA increase by deciding how much they wanted to spend for the whole bill first. And figure out what they wanted to do in other education related funding, so Internet, homeschool, transportation, et cetera, and then asking what was left to go into the BSA. And my constituent was kind of mad about that. He said they should identify a need and fund it, not pick numbers out of thin air. And you know the thing is that, uh, in general, I would agree with him. He's, he's right. The problem is that this is kind of how Juno has done things for decades. This isn't just education funding. This is the budget across the board. Traditionally, near the beginning of session, leadership in both bodies gets together, and decides how much money they want to spend in the budget overall, capital, operating, the whole nine yards. And Then they figure out how they want to fund it, whether it's coming out of oil money, permanent fund earnings, the CBR, federal funds, etc. They figure out, you know, where where the money can go, uh, can come from from the different pots. Um, especially gets interesting with the federal funds because it's got so many strings attached to it. And then they figure out how it gets split up. <clears throat> you know, we're going to put this much into operating, this much into capital. Uh, In the capital budget, this is how much each district's going to get, you know, different things like this. And a big part of what happened with the budget last year is because there wasn't agreement early on between the bodies on that first basic step of how much money do we want to spend. And I mean, you you can probably take a wild guess that this is kind of a messed up situation. (laughs) And I mean, it's bad bad enough now. I think I've told you this before. my first experience with the legislature was in 2007, and I was uh, an intern down here when I was in college for, for a session. And 2007, that's you know when we were really rolling in high cotton. you know we had a lot of cash coming in, uh, oil prices were spiking, you know, Iraq war and, and a few other things around the world. And so during that that internship, near the end of the session, there was a call that went out to every office in the building. We were, I don't know, week, two weeks from the end of session. They said we had extra money. Extra, every district gets ha- extra half a million dollars. What do you want to do with it? And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the intern. I'm not involved in these discussions. I'm just overhearing them. And I'm sitting here going, that's a screwed up way to run a railroad, right? right. You know, not, not, okay, what do we need? Not, what's this going to get us? But, hey, we've got extra money. How much do you want? um you know that's that's kind of scary and that's you know part of the reason the situation that we're in here you know the the exception to this there's a couple of exceptions to this rule one is when we got so little money that we really even can't can't go there you know like that's what happened in 2021 you know at at the beginning of the year it looked like we could have um had zero capital budget had um uh, you know, gotten rid of the PFD entirely that year, and we would have still been somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million in the hole. What ended up saving us was oil prices going back up and the federal government giving us a half a billion dollars, um, effectively strings free, which doesn't usually happen. The other exception to this is um, in when we have some sort of a what we view as a, an emergency within the state. So... Uh, For example, over the last few years, crime has been a significant issue. And so we've talked more about what we need and how much it's going to cost when we're talking about something like adding troopers in because we're dealing with a specific problem. Right, right. But normally, you know, overall, what we do is we decide, all right, how much money do we want to spend? Where do we want to what pot of money do we want to pull it from? and then figure out how it gets split up. We're not talking about need. We're not talking about what it's gonna cost. We're not weighing you know, costs and benefits, pros and cons, things like that. No, no, the 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 way that the legislature has done business, and this is for decades, I'm not blaming any one person that's here right now, this happened a long, long time ago, is they talk at the beginning and say, how much are we gonna spend? And, and the numbers, and so some of the numbers do really kind of come from thin air. And so what we've been talking about with education to me is really just kind of shining a light on some of the problems down here you know one one example is i've got the fairbank school district talking to me about raising the bsa and how much extra money they want in the bsa and it was very instructive to me to look at the difference between what happened when they showed up in my office last year asking for money versus what they're telling me this year they want for money so last year uh the school district told me that they could balance their budget and get by was something in the neighborhood of four hundred and fifty to five hundred dollars boost to the the BSA um, starting number. Okay, that's a heck of a lot better than, you know, the thousand twelve hundred or whatever that that a lot of people were throwing around. Well, then what happened this year? Well, now the Fairbanks School District is telling me that they want fourteen hundred dollars. Well, I mean, inflation is not great right now, but, you know, inflation is not three times where we're going up from 450 to 1400. So, you know, there's something else going on here. Um, They're instead of talking about what's going to balance their budget, they're talking about making up for all of the inflation since 2015. Nobody in either of those cases is talking about what it actually costs to actually educate a kid. The difference between those numbers is not and something's changed at the, at the school district in terms of actual operations, what's changed is who got elected to the school board. And since our school board took a decided turn left, um, now they're asking for more money. Gee, what a shocker, elections have consequences. So this leaves somebody like me sitting here going, well, if the numbers are not actually connected to what it actually takes to educate a kid, what does fully funding education even mean? You know, that's that's the mantra is we need to fully fund education. And I'm sitting here going, what does that even mean? If you can cavalierly change your numbers by a thousand dollars from one year to the next, and again, that's a thousand dollars at the base, not the thousand dollars after you've run through the formula. You know, that that puts it out to like another twenty five hundred or something for the the thousand dollars. And but I'm I'm sitting here saying if if you can cavalierly change those numbers, what does fully funding education actually mean? And again, it goes back to, we're pulling numbers out of thin air based on what we feel like spending, not actually trying to meet our, have our spending meet the need.
2: Well, and I think one of the, one of the clearest uh, uh, things that have come out in just that example of going from 400 to 1400 Is that they have absolutely no idea what the BSA is actually going to break down and be spent on uh, because it's then it just becomes a blank check. It's not, you know, we have this much for programmatic stuff. We have this much for infrastructure and maintenance. We have this much of it for salaries. No, they're just picking a number and saying this is because obviously there's no metrics inside of the BSA to make that happen. Uh, It's just a blank number. And uh and that's the problem here. It, it and, and again, nobody's asking who pays. Nobody's asking where does the money come from. I mean, it is you're talking about aspirational. That it is aspir. We want, you know, this is what we want. This is what we need and what we want. And if we get this, we'll be happy. Then, of course, on the other hand, there is absolutely zero accountability, and they don't want any accountability on it. Right. I mean, we saw that last session. Right. There was a vote on the floor to increase the BSA, but it had some it had some metrics attached to it. You have to hit certain, uh, you know, goals or guidelines, some 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 some, uh, marks in there. And they were like, no, we want it with no strings attached. That should be a red flag to any even those people who are screaming for fully funding education. That should be a red flag to anybody. What you had the opportunity to do it, but because it had some metrics attached to it, because it had some some uh, some some milestones attached to it, you are not interested in it now. What's going on?
1: You know, the I mean, the the I mean, you're you're right. You know, and this is one thing the governor touched on in the state of the state last night. Is he says when you're talking about education, you have to start by talking about outcomes and talking about how okay funding can't just be funding; it has to be. What is the funding getting us? And you know, I've told a few people that I said, you know, I can I can get behind funding a plan. I'm not a big fan of spending money, but I can get behind funding a plan. If you tell me this is our plan, this is what we're going to do with the money, even if it isn't necessarily you know strictly accountability in the sense of you're going to lose money if you fail. You know, if you tell me we have a plan, we have something that's proven, then we're going to fund that. And I go, great, I can get behind that. But if you're just going to you know say, well give us more money and trust us. I'm going to look at you sideways. This isn't, this This isn't how this is supposed to work. And yet for so long in our state, that is how things have, you know, been presumed to work, not just education, but, but a lot of other things as well, you know, transportation funding and, and, you know, uh, social services and, and whatever else. And it's like, this is, this is a screwed up situation. If, if outcomes are not the goal, and inputs of the goal, then you're guaranteed to have a screwed up situation with your budget.
2: I I mean, as I look at this, and then I look at the idea that, hey, uh, you know, at one point, we uh, were putting money directly into instruction based on this uh, and everything else. Uh, but, it, you know, it's been, t- what, almost, uh, was it 2007, something like that, that they... Uh, uh that they that they pulled oh no 2020 they repealed the uh, they repealed the language that basically said some of this money guaranteed to go into the classroom. That's the thing. They're not even guaranteeing that any of this money they keep talking about. It. It's for the children. It's for their education. Not only do they want not want to have any accountability metrics or milestones in there, they're also now saying it's not even guaranteed that any of that money is going to make it into the uh, into the education system. And they don't or into the classroom uh, in actual instruction. And that's right. that's the bigger problem here.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it, there, there's kind of two ways to address this to actually address your outcomes. One is to throw in some strict accountability measures. Another is to take the pieces that you already know are going to have a good impact and to bolster those pieces. And so, you know, they, they've they been, you know, marching to the tune of we don't pay our teachers enough for the last couple of years. So we need a BSA increase. So the governor says, oh, OK, well, we'll we'll go ahead and we'll we'll create these. Um, um pay boost for teachers these retention bonuses and then they go oh no no we can't we can't do that we got to pay everybody else too and i'm going thought you said the point here was paying teachers which we know actually if you pay your teachers better and you can get your teachers retained and get better teachers then we know that that actually leads to improved classroom outcomes you know we know that the charter school system is doing really well so let's use that as well no no we can't do that it's a local control issue i'm a, So then actually outcomes is not what you're what you're actually aiming for when you're aiming for an increased BSA. Is that what you're telling me here? I mean, I got a lot of skepticism building up here based on your reactions to us actually trying to address the problem. Apparently, we can't even agree on what the problem is. We you know, those of us on the more conservative side are going to say, well, the problem is outcomes. The problem is. Our kids are not coming out of school doing well you're telling me that the problem is funding and we're not putting those two we're not matching one to the other yeah if 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 we need funding to deal with outcomes i can live with that but if your funding is not connected to your outcomes we have a problem
2: uh rob myers is our guest Uh, we're talking about education we're going to continue in just a moment don't go anywhere the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio
0: Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
2: Yeah. Uh, so here is the, and thank you to Donna. She hooked me up with this. Alaska statute 14.17.520 minimum expenditures for instruction. And it says right at the top, a district shall budget for and spend a minimum of 70% of its school operating expenditures in each fiscal year on the instructional component of the district budget. In this section, instructional component includes expenditures for teachers and pupil support services. This is the law <clears throat> that was repealed in 20, uh, 2016 or is it 2016 it, or 2020?
1: It's worse than that, Michael. Yeah. Yeah before it was repealed so you'll notice that that says it includes it doesn't tell you what it excludes and so what they did is in regulation uh even before that law was repealed they took the regulation and said here are some other things that count towards that 70 percent and it included the principal and vice principals and included the school counselors it included a whole lot of other things that we would usually say is part of either building maintenance or overhead and said this is part of classroom expenditure. So effectively they made it meaningless even before they repealed.
2: Right. And so it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's insane. It's insane. This is the thing that we keep hearing that it's about the children and don't you care about the children and don't you, and if we don't get this, all the children will die or they'll become, you know, homeless people eating each other on the streets or something. I mean, it's, you know, it's all horrific, but at the same time. There is no mandate to actually spend it in the classroom where it does the most good. And instead, most of it's being consumed by, like you said, ancillary support, administrative staff, school maintenance, uh, you know, make work jobs of counselors, social maintenance people, blah, 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 whatever it is. And and that's the thing. And they can't give you an answer of what does it really take? Nobody's doing a zero-based budget in the schools, right? I mean, it's just a number that they're plucking and then they're doing the same thing. It's not zero-based budgeting.
1: No, it's it's not anywhere close. I mean, when, you, when, when the first step, uh, wh- whether it's the schools or anything else, when the first step is how much money do we want to spend, that's almost the opposite of zero-based budgeting. We're not talking about what are we trying to accomplish, what's it going to cost us to get there. We're talking about how much do we want to spend and then what do we want to do with it? That's exactly backwards of what a budget discussion should be.
2: Yeah, I mean, as individuals, we can understand the process that you described earlier because, you know, we've got a set amount of money coming in. We've got a budget we know, but we also know that we have base things that must be paid we know we must pay our you know our our mortgage we know must pay our lights we must pay our heat uh, and then whatever's left over is savings or frivolity or whatever else but a government should be basing it on the other way of its zero base here's where we start what is each component cost and move up from there and that's where I think we that's where I think we're getting it backwards. We're not doing any kind of zero based budgeting. It's always basing it on at least what we spent last year and then moving forward.
1: Effectively, yes. And then, you know, when we get back on the on the other side of the break, we'll talk a little bit about why we're, that's been happening. And that, it go. that's when we go back into, you know, the Petro State, the resource curse, you know, a lot of the the public-private economy disconnect, a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, And again, going back to Sarah Montalbano's discussion that we had with her here last year, uh, where she actually did the breakdown and went out and looked at this and said, you know, here's the, here's the admin side of education. Here's the curve as far as the increase in the admin side. And here's the increase, here's the decrease in the student load. And now we're ending up with two and three administrators for every teacher out there. Did you think it was going to work out any other way? Did you think you know, it funny, was going to happen any other way? The
1: thing to me on that discussion of, of how much we're paying the administration is that ever is that, You know, people like Sarah and and others come out and say, well, here's how much we're spending on administration. Here's how many positions we have on administration versus how many teachers. And the other side, you know, the NEA and and others, comes out and says, no, 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 that's not what it is. Here's what it actually is. But if you go back and you look at, at what Sarah is saying the trend is and you look at what the other side is saying the trend is, they're actually both going in the same direction. So we know what the problem is.
2: Right. We have a, <clears throat> we have definitely have a good idea of what the problem is and what's probably going to be happening here. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, there was a principal, a vice principal and a guidance counselor. And that was pretty much it. The office staff. And that was it. Uh, all right. Here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke show. common Sense, Liberty based Free Thinking Radio. Like and share. Let's do it. Here we go. <music>
0: The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. Pinch of intellect. Sorry,
2: that is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. I mean, what can I say? I'm a product of the public school system in Alaska. So it's a pinch of intellect. What do you you want? Whoa, baby, whoa. Uh, Anyway, welcome back. Uh, Senator Rob Myers, our guest. Uh, Rob, all these problems with education, they're obviously not going to get solved right now. Uh, The House can't even get their poop together to figure out what's going on uh they can't get it across the finish line to get it over to the senate to then be rejected by the senate to go back um but this is a this is indicative of a larger problem uh it, this this yeah. is really indicative of the kind of the way that we've done things and what we're doing and this is where you get into the economic impacts of being a petrostate state and things like that so i'll let you take 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 it away
1: yeah so you know all these problems that we, we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes that The 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 pro the source of these problems, again, education is not the only issue here. This is how our state government has been run for getting close to 50 years now. And this is what happens when you don't view the government as, you know, providing certain services that the private that support the private sector to make sure that the private sector is going to do well. This is what happens when you view the government as the source of the economy. You know, you know, we've talked about this, that that 20% roughly of our economy is oil. Another 20% is just state government. And that's not counting all the multipliers, that's just the base. So, you know, and then there's federal government on top of that. And then there's local government on top of that. And all of that gets together and government and oil, which the government controls, becomes a huge portion of our economy. And, you know, so, so this is what happens when, the mindset gets baked in down here in Juneau, that the government is not to support the economy or help the economy or work with the economy hand in hand. The point of the government is to be the economy effectively. And so, you know, what we're doing with the school system is just just one example of that. So, for example, the bill that we're talking about that is now the Education Omnibus bill started out as a bill dealing with internet for schools. And Part of the reason, you know, we talked about this bill a couple of times before that, you know, part of the reason it's, it's effectively a giveaway to GCI. But another reason that this bill would get interest is because, especially out in more rural areas, the point is not to necessarily just to give Internet to schools. It's to use schools as anchor customers for broadband access in a community. So that, you know, once you've got that anchor customer there that brings the service in to begin with, now you can start to branch out to other businesses, other people's houses, things like that. And so the, the point here is to use the government as a source to build the rest of the economy in that locality, not to use the government as providing a service that supports the economy hand in hand. Now, broadband access is good for the economy. I don't think anybody's going to tell you otherwise. but if we're if that's actually the goal, then let's be honest about that and have the state start a state owned utility that provides that broadband backbone. And then maybe we'll start having some better discussions about Starlink and and things like that uh, about, you know, what's the cheapest way to actually uh, actually run these things. You know, this goes back to the same model that, that we've talked about before. I was just alluding to that The model that we have used for our economy for close to 50 years now is the state gets oil money from the from Prudhoe and and elsewhere, and then disperses it throughout the rest of the economy. It's not the state provides certain services that the economy uses, you know, troopers, roads, schools, uh, you know, a couple other things. It's it's the state becomes the economy and yeah you know that might have been easy to undo in years past, easy in a sense of of the economics of it, not necessarily easy in terms of the political side of it. Um, but now we're at a spot where so many groups have been become dependent on that government spending that you look at that and you say, oh well we 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 shouldn't be providing this or we can't afford to provide this or are we actually getting our money's worth on providing this? And what happens when you try to cut that stuff? Well, we saw that in twenty nineteen. The governor tried to address some of those things in the budget and everybody you know, lifts a hue and cry and tries to recall him because he's actually trying to address things the way they should be addressed. But because so many people make their livelihood off of government spending, not making their livelihood necessarily off of what provides a good service or to their neighbors, then they're, they're, of course, they're going to (laughs) complain, Brian, you are 100% correct. Money is a heck of a drug. Um, but everybody is going to complain when, uh, you're gonna, you're, you're effectively, you know, cutting their job, uh, by cutting the state budget. You know, I mean, we had a heck of a time trying to do this at the beginning. You know, when, when Hammond first, uh, put together the idea of the permanent fund, he wanted half of the oil royalties to go into the permanent fund. And he had to twist arms just to get a quarter. And, um, you know, so. At, at the time, the money, you know, it only took a couple of years before that money to become a heck of a drug for, as we talked about last time, for the legislature to realize they could effectively bribe their way back in, through their next reelection by sending enough of that money home to their districts to say, hey, look at what I brought you. You know, I brought you construction jobs for the next couple of years, and that's how the, the economy gets built around here now, not by... Neighbors looking around, finding a need, filling a need, that their neighbors are going to uh, find it worthwhile to spend their dollar on.
2: And, of course, this is – and we've talked about this. I mean, the the first – that first royalty check that the state received, which was nearly a billion dollars, uh, back in 1969, 70, mm-hmm. they got that – yeah, they got that first nine hundred and something million dollar check and they burned through that thing so fast it gave drunken sailors a bad name. And they were like, I mean, if, and at the time, remember, what was it? It was hundred and forty two million,
1: 100, million state dollars, a little higher than that once you included the federal at the time. As but well. yeah,
2: one hundred. The state budget at that time was one hundred and forty two million dollars, one hundred and forty two million dollars. And today we are spending. billion plus on the same state budget Uh, and we're only 50 years down the road. That should tell you right there that that I mean, that that should shock you right down to your socks. But that's exactly what's going on. They're taking all the money and it's essentially and this is what we've talked about it before about Alaska becoming a dependency state, not just in social safety welfare net stuff, which we are with one third of Alaskans on Medicaid uh, across the state, let alone all the other programs. But the dependency state of, like you said, people are making a living or they've built a big part of their revenue stream in their businesses out of that state expenditure. And if that gets threatened, oh, man, everybody throws their hands up in the air. We have created a dependency organ that the state has become the money pump for everybody. And and but but it's again, it's not sustainable. Look at where we are right now in the budgets. Look at where we are in the deficits. Look at what the 10 year forecast says for the deficits. It's not sustainable.
1: And I mean, what we're, and, and the sustainability is, well, it's not the only problem. It's definitely a huge problem because what we're trying to do, all of the arguments over the PFD and things like that. Uh, yes, I believe the PFD is important, but it's indicative of a much bigger problem because what we're trying to do is to stick to that same model that we've had for about 50 years now where the government takes in some money from someplace it doesn't have to be accountable to it takes in that money and it spreads it out to create the economy it's just that we're switching from using oil to do that we're on our transition over to using the permanent fund to do that the difference and this is why I, th- I think the permanent fund is the the one thing that you can use to fund government that's actually worse than oil is that oil eventually runs out and eventually you have to face reality. And at least that's oil is a part of the actual private economy within the state that you actually have to pay attention to. The permanent fund invested in Wall Street and and real estate around the country is instead of being connected to the private economy has zero connection to the private economy within the state. And it's something that is effectively going to continue forever. So long as the state doesn't spend faster than the permanent fund grows. So that now the state is completely and totally disconnected from what's happening within the state. And now the state is encouraged to make people even more dependent on them because that's how we get reelected.
2: And again, this idea that somehow anybody in the legislature has a long term vision is, I mean, because it it effectively becomes, what do I need to do between now and my next reelection? Not what happens in five years. Not what, you know, I just said, I just talked about the 10-year plan. The 10-year plan showing deficits out. That's, that's a problem for tomorrow. That's not a problem for today. My problem for today is how do we get out of here so I can go back out on the re-election trail and be, ele- be re-elected this fall? It's not what's going on in the long term. And then you've got members in the legislature who are, uh, they're obviously leaving the state shortly uh, and, and they're retiring. And so the problem is not theirs either. It's not my problem. Well, I
1: mean, I- I think I, I told you this last year, I had a discussion with one of my colleagues. We were talking about the the oil tax bill that that's being debated um, right now. I hasn't had had any more hearings yet this year, so I don't know if that thing's going to go anywhere. But I, I said I, I told this guy, I said, look, you can look at the pattern of the state spending and you can look at what the fiscal note says that oil tax bill is going to bring us. And it only solves the problem for three or four years. And then we're back in the same boat. And he looks at me and says, yeah, but by then I'm not going to be in office anymore. That's a problem for you. And I went, uh, sorry, what?
2: Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> I mean, we. I remember that there was a guy in Fairbanks. This is 25 years ago, 20 years ago. And he literally, excuse me, he literally made a comment when I asked about something about the long-term outlook, and he literally made the comment of, well, I retire next year and I'm moving to Florida. So that that really doesn't affect me kind of thing. I mean, that was this was an off the air kind of candid comment. And I'm just like, if that's the idea that we're going to get ours while we can and then leave the state and leave you guys holding the bag, which was kind of the implication of the tone of the conversation. I'm just like. We've got to get a better caliber. We've got to get somebody in there who, who actually understands that and is thinking more about the long-term consequences instead of just what's going to happen in the next election cycle. Um, and unfortunately, here we are 25 years later with exactly the same problem. And it can, and it's getting worse. It's That's the problem is that it's getting absolutely worse. Rob Myers is our guest. Uh, we're going to continue here in just a second. Um and uh, I think, if, we, if, we, if we, Rob, you want to talk a little bit more about some of the lessons learned from Petro States and what can we do. And then I know you've got some bills. We'll let you uh, sum it here in the next segment. We'll get everything done. Rob Myers is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based. Free Thinking Radio. Back with more right after this. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. That's right. Your mental suppository. We're just here to clean you out mentally uh, and get it done. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's astonishing, Rob. I mean, because there are people in the legislature in the past and even to this day who, you know, in two years, maybe, they're they're going to pull the ripcord and they'll be gone they are I mean, some of them are only spending half the year here already anyway. And yet they're, you know, they're making these big decisions for Alaska guaranteed that they think that they're doing, they know what's best and they're doing what's best, but they don't have to live with any of the consequences. And that's the, that's the worst part of this whole situation.
1: I mean, that, that is, you know, let's, let's take another example, you know, remember the pay increase from last year. Um, you know my, the the whole brouhaha over that. My biggest issue with that pay increase was not was was the fact that you know they sold it on well it's to get more effectively to get more people like me in the legislature to get more people that are younger and we're raising a family and you know we're kind of more in the prime of life rather than having guys that are either you know fresh out of college and politics is their first and only job or getting guys that are retirees to come down here. And I'm like. Well, that's a laudable goal. But what you're doing with this pay increase is not actually going to do that. What you're doing with this pay increase is you're taking people like me who have a day job outside of this place and are still connected to the private economy, and you're trying to give us enough money to encourage us to actually quit our day job so that we can actually just live on the government salary and I don't have to uh worry about the private economy in in my real life you know right I, i think that for for myself you know that's one of the things that keeps me grounded is when i get out of this place in may i gotta go home and go answer to a bunch of angry truck drivers and say what the heck did you do down there
2: right right no they want again it's a divorce right it's a divorce from the from the private economy they don't want entrepreneurs and people who are, you know, got regular day jobs, you and Shower and some other people down there who actually have a, a real job outside of this. Uh, they they want to say, here, just take this, take this full carrot and <clears throat> go. And now you, too, are fully dependent on the government from now on uh, and uh, have got a vested interest in keeping the gravy train rolling. Uh, from now on, because you know, if you don't, then you got to go back to work. And you now you've been out of the private sector for five years or six years or seven years, and you know what are you going to do now? You got to get reelected because otherwise you got to go back to to work in the job, the job or whatever. It's uh-huh. it's it's uh, it's astonishing. the The thing is, is that what nobody sees, and you just t- touched on it when you said you talked to one of your colleagues about this, is that everything that's being offered is a short term solution. The taking of the PFD, the taking of the PFD, is a short-term solution because once they consume all of it, there's nothing left. Now their choices then are to overdraw the PFD or to uh, to institute a tax, which they've all said, "Oh, we couldn't have a tax; that would be that would be wrong." But I can already again, I can already hear it. You Alaskans need to really pay your fair share. You've been getting yeah. a free free rides die hard. You need to pay your fair share.
1: Well, you know, then that's the thing is that what you're right that that we're heading down the road where we're going to have a tax. The BFD is going to go away. We're going to have a tax. I don't know what kind of tax that may be, because we're looking at, you know, six, eight, ten years down the road, most likely. Um, and it's really gonna depend on who's in office. You know, we could end up with an income tax, which is gonna have a detrimental effect on uh, the the economy as a whole. Um, even though it would tie the government a little more closely to the private economy. Um, you couldn't end up with a sales tax. You could end up with an oil tax, which in my mind is just adding gasoline to the fire, trying to cure the hangover with a, with a shot of vodka, you know, take, take your pick that dependency on oil taxes is what got us into this mess in the first place. Right. You know, so to say, Oh, we're just gonna, we're just going to tax oil more. or We're going to tax mining or, you know, pick another natural resource. I'm like, well, that's just, That's doubling down on the same losing bet. But that is you know, that's a distinct possibility of what we have.
2: Well, and that's why it has to be a holistic approach. That's why it has to be everything, you know. Correct. Um, Mineral taxes, hell yes, we should be talking about that because it's a finite resource and we're getting nothing, essentially, at this point. Uh, Oil taxes, sure, there's money left on the table, upwards of half a billion dollars left on the table there. I think, you know, even somebody, oil and gas guy like Keith Lee says, four or five hundred million dollars, not a problem. But it's not the full solution. Because if you don't fix, this is the thing, if you start with a spending problem, you keep saying it's a revenue problem, but you start with a spending problem and you keep going and then you quote unquote fix the revenue problem, um, the problem is still going to be there. The problem is still the spending problem. It doesn't matter how much revenue you throw at it, there will always be a spending problem. If you're spending every dollar and more, that's a problem.
1: If you got a tapeworm and it's starving you because it's eating so much and you decide, well, I'm going to fix that by eating more, that doesn't fix your problem.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly where we're at. Okay, we're going to talk about some of the bills that Rob's got coming up, including his bill on nonprofits and more. Uh, we're going to jump back into it. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Uh, please like and share. Uh, only half of you have liked the show today. Only half of you. Now, I know some of you are in Juno and you can't like the show because you don't want me to see your name. But those who aren't in Juno, you can like the show or hate it or love it or whatever. Here we go. Common Sense Radio, let's do it.
0: Public Enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public Enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the, uh, Michael Duke show. Uh, what? What? That
2: was just gross. All right. Uh, welcome back to Michael Duke show. Common sense radio. Rob Myers is our guest, a state senator from up in the interior district Q. Right. District. I got it right. See, only takes me a year to figure out the new districts. Uh, All right. So we uh, we're continuing on now. We were talking about petrostates. We're talking about education, the divorcing of the public and the private economy and yada, yada, yada. Any final thoughts on that, Rob? But I know you've also got some other bills you want to talk about, including the uh, your latest bill, which is about nonprofits. So uh, I'll let you uh, I'll let you go here. What do we got?
1: Yeah, so uh, we we put in this bill uh, this year um, in uh, connection with uh, Representative Frank Tomaszewski. Uh, He's got he's got the same bill on the House side. Um, So in our state constitution, it's it actually explicitly states that you should have an exemption for all property taxes for nonprofits. And it says religious, educational, uh, hospital, cemetery. uh, Shoot, I think there's one other category that I'm forgetting. Um. And then in statute, we have that same exemption just kind of laying out some more details about it. You know, you get two sentences in the Constitution, you get three pages in the statute book. Okay. well, we've been having this problem. It seemed to start in Fairbanks about six years ago or so, where the local property tax assessor, um, you know, maybe they're kind of along the same lines of where we're just talking about having a, a spending versus a revenue problem is looking for more revenue and they decided to clamp down on this nonprofit property tax exemption as a way to get it. So as a couple of examples, uh, we had a church in Fairbanks that uh, they told them that you have too many trees on your property. The trees are not directly related to your religious mission, so we're going to tax you on the trees on your property. Or alternately, if you plow those trees down, you now have a parking lot, and your parking lot is too big for the size of your building by our judgment. So now we're gonna tax you on the parking lot that you just plowed over the trees so that we didn't tax you on the trees. Kind of a darned if you do, darned if you don't situation. The food bank a couple of years ago had a fundraiser one day in their building. They were doing a silent auction type type situation. One afternoon, they do this every year. They've been doing it for 20 something years. And the assessor says fundraising is not part of your core mission. Your core mission is giving away food. Fundraising is not giving away food. So we're going to yank your property tax exemption on your building because you held a fundraiser inside of it. This is all kinds of screwed up. And, you know, that's just a couple of examples. There's more. And over the last interim, we've, we started doing some digging and we were starting to realize that this wasn't just a Fairbanks issue. Um, We were starting to realize that a lot of the direction for what was going on. So, for example, training of of the local assessor and stuff was coming down from the state assessor and the state assessor was providing some of this this guidance. And we're kind of putting some feelers out around the state. We're realizing that you've got a couple of um, other places that are having similar problems. Uh, We found one in Kenai uh, done in Kodiak. There's actually a lawsuit going on over this stuff. And so. We're we put together this bill. It's SB 167 to uh, clarify what we're doing and that that. No, you actually have to not just say you have a property tax exemption for nonprofits. You actually have to make it work. You can't just clamp down on these guys, uh, you know, and find every stinking little loophole. You know, there's there's a phrase in there that says it's it's exempt if it's exclusive use. And they have taken that exclusive use phrase and turn it into a bludgeon against these nonprofits. And so we're we're working on trying to get hearings for these bills in both the House and the Senate. Um, I can't remember the, Frank's got, the, like I said, Frank has the same bill. I can't remember off the top of my head what the number is, um, but we're trying to, to put these together to say, no, if you're going to have an exemption, you have to have it so it's workable. You can't, the, the only thing worse than a tax with exemptions is a with uncertainty, and with all of this uncertainty, and where the the assessors can weaponize it, we have a serious problem. Now, the one piece of good news is that the state assessor who seemed to be causing a lot of these problems—oh, which by the way, we asked him in a meeting a few months uh, a few months ago. Hey, when did you come into office? He said, "Oh, about 2018." And we we're like, "2018—that's about when these problems started." Funny how that works, you know. Um. So the good news is that the state assessor quit a couple of weeks ago. He's leaving state. Um, we've got some feelers out with the administration to see, um, you know, who the the person replacing him is going to be. We haven't haven't heard anything back yet, um, but but we're keeping an eye on that. But we're you know th- this bill that we've got is you know on the out- outside of it, it looks a little scary because there's like five different pages and we're we're making some changes. But really what we're trying to do with the bill is to just say, look, everybody was happy 10 years ago with the way that this was going. We're trying to write a bill to put us back to practice from 10 years ago. So they can't use this exclusive use bludgeon right uh, against the nonprofits. Well, because
2: that's the thing. It's a big surprise. All of a sudden you come in and say, oh, by the way, your tax exemption, we just yoinked it. Sorry. You know.
1: And if I- you don't like it, sue us. And now call me crazy, but I'd rather have the food bank spending their money on handing out food rather than have the food bank spend their money on a lawyer.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just makes no sense. But that's the threat, right? The threat is always the bludgeon of government with government money behind it. And if you don't like it, you could sue us. Good luck with that. You know, kind of thing. Uh, And yeah, I've heard plenty. Those are two stories. I hadn't heard those two stories, but I've heard three or four other stories. I've gotten some calls on this coming out of Fairbanks where the assessor is just basically going down and just beating down nonprofits left and right uh, for whatever they're doing. And this sounds like some of the same ridiculous stuff. There's a town in Ohio, 8,500 people, and they shut down one of the churches there because they were feeding people. And giving people places to sleep uh, when it got cold and the homeless there. And they said, well, you're not you're not zoned for that. So sorry. We're shutting you down. I mean, it's just like.
1: I, I'm sorry, but that's what a church is supposed to be doing in my book.
2: Exactly. I mean, this is. And that's why they're supposed to receive this nonprofit status is because they're supposed to be giving back to the community. And instead, it's like, no, sorry. And the idea that somehow the food bank trying to raise money. To do its mission, to do its job is uh-huh. not is not compliant with the overall mission of the, that is some, that is some pretzely mental gymnastics to make that work there. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, somebody needs to lose their job over that. I mean, the, the mayor should be stepping into this, but the mayor's just not impressive at this point.
1: We've yeah.
2: So some other
1: people, you know, who know more about this than I do have been trying to address this at the local level. For, like i said five six years now and it hasn't been going anywhere and now we're finding out that it's it's a much broader issue that that you know it's happening around the state that some of it is is happening at the direction of people in state government it's like okay now we need a statute fix this yeah. is a legislative matter now.
2: yeah we got to fix it at this point uh all right we're down to the last uh, three and a half four minutes here anything else what else are you working on uh uh rob what should we be talking about
1: well, uh well I've got another bill that's actually getting a little interest surprisingly I'm getting interest from business groups and and labor unions uh, on the same bill how rare is that um, but I've got a bill dealing with occupational licensure uh, that we hopefully can get a hearing on sometime here in the relatively near future so I know uh, we you know we've got just a couple minutes left so we can't get too far into it um, but basically the concept is, before you institute a new uh, license, or you uh, have a major change in scope of practice for an occupational license, it would go before this nonpartisan, nonpolitical review board that's buried over the administration to actually tell us if there is actually a problem, if this is actually the correct solution. If you, uh, if you have a problem, can you fix it with something less restrictive than a license? Or maybe this is not actually a problem. It's just people telling scary stories. So that's uh, another another one that we're working
2: on. Occupational licensing is a pet peeve. I don't know if you knew that about me, but it is a pet peeve. Yeah, it is a total pet peeve. And uh, I think we need to do away with a lot of the occupational licensing and have a sunset commission, which I know that Shelley Hughes has talked about as well. uh, The to uh, to look over this kind of stuff. Um, And yeah, anything to make that better and easier and for more people to be able to go to work without having to beg the government's permission to do so. Please, sir, may I have some—can I have a cookie? If it pleases the king, may I go make a living? Uh, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. Oof, man, there it goes. Um, All right, well, good. Well, we'll look forward to that. Maybe we could have—next time we have you on, we can have a whole segment on that. We could talk about the details of it Uh, because I could do a— I could do a full hour on this for sure. Uh, let's uh, let's sum up here. That's last... why I waited a now to tell you about it. I know you shouldn't have done that. Uh, last two minutes, Rob. Uh, again, just kind of the, the the Petra State. You know what we're doing. How do we fix this? If I made you king for a day, what do we do? I mean, how do we make this work?
1: I mean, ultimately, what's going to have to happen is you have to have a way that the state cares about the economy that the people care about what the state's doing, because you're not going to have you're not going to stop talking about inputs and start talking about outputs until the people of the state start caring about what actually is being spent and whether or not we're getting the best ROI for it. You know, I've got a couple of bills, kind of like the, the the sunset or the sunrise bill there uh, for the occupational licensing that's talking about how do we get the best ROI. And I mean, I think they're good bills, but I also recognize that in the the state that we're in and the structure that we're in, they're not going to get a whole lot of traction because people don't care about outcomes. They care about inputs. Well, and, and until, it's
2: dependency too, right? It's control and dependency. You've got a government bludgeon to control your industry. You can do whatever you, I mean, you can stop competition. You can do all those kind of things. It goes right back to that dependency state.
1: Yeah, exactly. We've created the dependency state. That's where the care about inputs rather than outputs comes from. And until we fix those problems about having one have to pay attention to the other and it goes both ways um we're, we're going to be stuck
2: rob Myers, uh state senator district q up in the interior always a thought-provoking conversation uh always interesting stuff and uh you know they said send a truck driver to the legislature he could figure it out and sure enough he has uh, now, if we could just get some more people to listen to you, that would be the uh, that'd be the great thing there. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for coming on board and joining us this morning.
1: You up? Good to see you, Michael. All okay, right, you later.
2: Hold, hold the line for a second. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to hold on to you for just a second, folks. We're out of time. Tomorrow's another day. Mike, shower and more free markets. We'll talk about free markets tomorrow. We'll see you then. All right, final bite at the apple. Give it to me, Rob. Now that it's just you and me and 60 of our closest friends on the internet, tell me what you really think. Tell me, give me this, give me that last. Somebody just said earlier, they said, oh my God, I see tomorrow's headline. Uh, Rob Myers calls the legislature tapeworms. And then Gail Moore says, oh, it's good stuff for the landmine, loose unit. Rob Myers calls the legislature tapeworms. I can see it right now. Uh, Anyway, you're... Anything you want to walk back in the last 2 minutes here, Rob? Go ahead. <laughs> go
1: ahead. Well, you know, you I never thought this would happen, but I am I'm, I'm kind of starting to get all talked out here. I'm yeah, going to okay. have to take a take a breath cuz we've got the um the pension bill on the floor today, so I got to save my words for that.
2: Okay. So. Well, we, I I'm interested in that. We need to talk about that as well. That's going to be an interesting discussion.
1: All right. Yeah, well, well- Keep an eye on Gavel today. That'll that'll show you how it goes.
2: D- didn't you know that I have a job, Rob? I don't know if I can watch Gavel today. It's going to be busy. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, my friend, for coming on board. I appreciate it. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you soon. Okay.
1: You bet. You bet. Good to see you, Michael. We'll catch you
2: later. You bet. You bet. All right, folks. Well, that does it for me for today. I got more stuff coming up. Don't forget. Again, things are happening. Things are happening. Become a member of the Common Sense Corps. Go to patreon.com slash michaeldukeshow to help support the show for as little as three bucks a month. Put a little coffee in my cup. Keep the lights on. Get the improvements going. Gives you access to the Facebook page and more. All right. But we got to go. Thank you so much for joining us today. We will see you tomorrow.